The following podcast is brought to you by CDKoffers.com. Use the link in the description along with the promo code BROKENSILICON for Microsoft products. You can also use the code DIESHRINK for 3% off all products, including games, on the website. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a computer hardware and gaming podcast. I am your host who is exhausted. I'm refueling right now, eating Oreos and drinking Pacifico Clara. That's my refueling food before I get going on something else. I'm tired because I actually just got done with the first pass of making the uh, Big Navi video I keep talking about and not releasing. So... Yeah, that'll probably be out before this podcast is actually released. And uh, it's going to be another one of those big ones, or it was one of those big ones. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about that soon. I'm really basically depending on my co-host to hold it together here <laughs> while we record tonight. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Yo, what up? It's your boy, Dan. Yeah, what up, gangsta? So we're representing tonight. We're keeping it real. We're trying to, I'm trying to not fall asleep. Let's just, let's just get started. So first reader mail comes in from Yoda King. What do you guys think of Uncut Gems and Marriage Story? Uh, he actually reached out to me on the Discord day and, and he's like, I'm a film nerd. Can you guys make that movie podcast? Where do you stand on that so far, Dan? When are we starting another podcast? I don't know. We'll see. I already have a busy plane. <laughs> yeah. Me too, but I can't seem to stop torturing myself. And he goes on and goes, I want to know what you think of Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. I mean, you you talk, Dan. What do you think? I thought he was really, really good, and everyone should go watch Uncut Gems. Yeah, I mean, I Adam Sandler is a really good actor. You, well, wait, what what did he say, Dan? You told me that. What did he say about Uncut Gems? Because he's usually in shitty movies. I think he said something along the lines of... Um, if this movie doesn't get in, doesn't get me an Oscar, I'm doing another five shitty movies or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think there's this misconception with Adam Sandler. I mean, he he killed it with his last um, stand-up performance, so we know he's still hilarious. He's in these shitty movies because basically they pay him $10 million and fly out all of his friends to Hawaii to make whatever movie he wants. And he's like, yeah, if you'll fly out my friends for a month, so we can hang out in Hawaii for $10 million. I'll do as many of these shitty movies as you want. Like, yeah, I think like Grown Ups 3 is set in Hawaii. And there's absolutely no justification for why it's set there. Aside from the fact that they wanted to film in Hawaii. <laughs> so, But yeah, I mean, he was really good. I love the movie Funny People. Um, And I've seen him. Actually, I remember Click for some reason. For some reason, he gives like an Oscar level performance at the end of... What it should be a hacky movie click. Do you remember that? Not that well, no. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that one's not as good as Uncut Gems, but <laughs> I just remember I, like almost crying at the end of it and being like, wait, why is this stupid movie good now? I will say the uh, Uncut Gems is like a two hour long anxiety attack, though. So <laughs> it does. And you can tell they're making you 
more and more nervous the entire time. But anyways, we won't spoil it. Yeah, I mean, we love Duncut Jams. We, we've always been Sandler fans when he's in good stuff. He's just usually not. <laughs> and then when it comes to Marriage Story, I, I don't have much to say except Marriage Story is substantially better than I thought it would be. And of course, I thought it'd be good. It has actors I like and, you know, got good reviews. But no, it was legitimately a really, really good script. I will also add to anyone that's like, doesn't want to watch it because they'll think it's, they think it's going to be like a two hour depression fest. Mm. It's actually a pretty, it's pretty funny. It's very funny. And I would say in some ways optimistic too. So it's, it's a really good movie that you definitely should watch. And don't avoid it because it's of the subject matter. Well, or it's long. Like, I understand it's a long movie that's about, you know, divorce effectively. But it honestly is uplifting and funny. And it's one of those movies where I was hoping this would be true. You can watch it in a few sittings and it doesn't, like, ruin it. I thought, at least. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I watched it in one sitting, but... Oh, Good for you. Also, he asked about the Irishman. And I don't know. Uh, yes, if he, we, we thought it was too long and the de-aging. I thought the de-aging was a little goofy looking, but it didn't bother me that much. When they're younger, it's really weird looking. Like There was one scene where uh, Robert De Niro is supposed to be like a 30-year-old soldier. And it's like, even if the de-aging is perfect, he still looks weird because Robert De Niro is almost 80. And an 80-year-old and a 30-year-old don't walk the same way either, oh, yeah. as each other. Yeah, that was probably the biggest problem, like, when his truck breaks down. Like, he looked like he was walking like an old man, even if he looked younger. Yeah, and as they get older, it gets better. Like, for a lot of, for most of the movie, they're probably in their late, like, mid-50s to mid-60s. Mm-hmm. And during those portions of the movies, it looks fine because it's, 80 is definitely older, but it's not insanely older well, especially if you're a Hollywood vampire, because they seem to, you know, age half as fast as normal people. Yeah, that's true. Well, they are all vampires. Yeah, of course. And is it too long? I would say a little bit, but. Yeah, I'm not sure what I would have. I would have just cut down a lot more of the beginning stuff. I mean, it was all fun. It was a good movie. We watched it with our parents on Thanksgiving, which is probably the perfect movie. Because I mean, perfect time to watch it. Because I can't imagine watching that on a normal week when I don't have as much free time. Like, wh- like I always was thinking that, like, three and a half hours. When the hell am I going to have enough time to watch this? Uh, I mean, yeah, that would have been the only circumstance in which I watched it, because I'm sure as hell not watching it alone or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so yeah, I'm glad we watched it when we did. But yeah, I mean, we thought all three of those movies were good. If you guys want to throw in smaller off-subject questions, it's, it's decent for uh, early banter, I think, when we get warmed up here. Anyways, though. Carbon Cry has a correction here. He says, Tom, in the last podcast, you said you don't want any egg on your face. But as a tuber talking head, which is basically one step removed from a beauty YouTube vlogger, you need to take care of your skin. And egg is actually really good at that. So put egg all over your face. I mean, I think that means that we should just get everything wrong this podcast, right? Yeah, so that we cover ourselves in egg. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay, let's do it. All right, first of all, Big Navi, no. Um, <laughs> so Deus Knight also writes him, and he says, and, and this comes from, this was a holdover. It came in a little too late to get into the uh, Stefan Levera podcast that I recorded. So that'll be coming out soon. That one's going to be titled something to the effect of From Mining to PC Hardware, 
comma, and Bitcoin. And it's about, I, I have on an Austrian eco- economist and Bitcoin, I don't know if I'd say Bitcoin expert, but certainly Bitcoin podcast host and interviewer. And he and I talk about how like uh, mining got me into PC hardware and then into Bitcoin. We talk about Bitcoin for a great deal. So that was the one time where I'm like, yeah, you guys can send in Bitcoin questions. This one missed it. And I, uh, I'll also add to be clear, he's not an Austrian like ethnically, he's an Austrian. Austrian. He's an Australian, actually. <laughs> he's an Australian, Austrian, philosophically economic economics person. Actually, that's a good point. Sometimes I forget that that's not. Uh, most people don't talk about this stuff, <laughs> but yeah, Austrian economist is like the uh, the other side versus like the Keynesian or however you pronounce it, Keynesian, Keynesian, yeah. Um, but yeah, go wait for that episode. It was, it was really good. I, Gerard edits it, and he told me that even though it was about Bitcoin, he he uh, wasn't bored for a second. Anyways, though, his question, I thought we'd give him this. Davis Knight says, how long will quantum supremacy, how long until quantum supremacy destroys crypto? So first of all, I'm just going to answer that. Never. Would you, are you, do you feel comfortable saying that? I feel comfortable saying that I'm, that something about quantum computing, I, I feel like we're putting the cor- uh, horse before the cart or whatever phrase you want to use because quantum su- quantum computers suck still. And I think it's going to be decades before they don't suck if they ever stop sucking. And I so. would, yeah. And furthermore, it it's possible to upgrade the Bitcoin blockchain at least to be quantum resistant. I've already listened to developer talks where they're like, "Yeah, we have ideas." It's just to upgrade the blockchain, it takes a lot of effort for consensus, so it's really not worth a hard fork to do it when we don't think there's almost any chance it's going to come in the next decade. There's much bigger fish to fry, and if it ever did become a real threat, people would agree well, pretty quickly too. <laughs> and if we're ever at a point where quantum computing is strong enough to um, break crypto. Uh, it's also going to break every system we have. Yeah, that's the so. thing. Bitcoin is, and we don't want to get deep into it, but the, I, the way I would put it is that, yeah, very well said that Bitcoin's more resilient than basically any other network we have right now. So if it breaks, if it were to break Bitcoin, uh, all we're, we're fucked. <laughs> if it breaks Bitcoin, that means that anything that we want to be secure is going to be paper from now on. And yeah, and I guess he also says, why should we invest in crypto versus stocks? Well, I don't think it's versus. I think, you know, you can invest in different things, but it's been shown, and we talk about this, me and Stefan, that if you put 1% of your holdings into Bitcoin, you know, they've done studies where they're like, if the average person just put 1% of their of their Let's say you put away 10% of what you make a month. Let's say it's like you put away, I don't know, $100 a month even. If you just put $10 into Bitcoin, that you'll outperform the S&P 500. Every basically portfolio they found, if they just took 1% away from everything and put that towards Bitcoin, it actually stabilizes your savings more because it kind of acts as a hedge against the, against the other markets. So just objectively, like no philosophical stuff, it is better for you to do that. Like, there's no debate there. But, well, it, the, the upside is just so tremendous. It could become the de facto standard of money. And if that happens, you'll be very happy you put 1% away. And and so I'm actually, well, were you going to say something, Dan? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if you're more bullish than me or not, but I would also say hmm. there is always the chance that uh, 
Bitcoin does go away. So I don't know if I would put. I, I'm not one of those people that thinks you should put everything into Bitcoin yet. But. Yeah, yeah. There's some, even most developers still put about fifty percent away. Not even fifty. Sometimes twenty percent, which still made a lot of them really rich. <laughs> yeah. But you know, so it's like if we were well, okay. So his last part of the question is if we were crazy, how much of our investing money should we set aside percentage wise into crypto? And I think I've always said ten percent. If you're crazy. And otherwise, it's like, you know, how much can you... I would say the same about putting money into the stock market, though, too. Don't put more than you can afford to lose. And you want to kind of divide up your savings. And this is not financial advice, of course. But I think, hypothetically, you'd want to divide up your savings into, you know, land, stocks, good old greenbacks, cash, and Bitcoin. And so that if any one of those collapses, you're not screwed. Right. I think that's just common sense. And I think if you're really betting on Bitcoin, but you're not, you know, all the way in on it yet, 10%, man, if you're putting away 100, you know, maybe every few months you buy $100 worth, make sure it's secure. But listen to that episode. There's a lot more we say about it. I don't know. Do you have anything else to add to that, Dan? Uh, No, I don't think so. All right. Well, then let us move on to the stories. The first one is about a new. Times 86 competitor. What, how do you pronounce that, Dan? Zhao Yin? Zhao Jin? Zhao Jin, probably. Zhao Zin, maybe. Zhao Zin sounds the most correct. Chinese is never Romanized well, though, so you never know. Yeah. So Zhao Zin, or whatever, is apparently launching you know, x86 compatible CPUs for the do-it-yourself market now. Now, I wasn't able to find them on Newegg or anything, but I'm going to be honest with you guys. If I see a motherboard that's at a reasonable price and I see some early indications they perform okay, I might buy this to, and make a video about it because this, to me, is just like Via. I remember when I used to see Via on Newegg and I almost wanted to buy them just out of curiosity. This looks really exciting to me. And it came out of nowhere. Uh, I don't know. So reading about it, it looks like they're... I think they're... St- pretty much staying in the Chinese market as a, ah, okay. because uh, the company was founded, I think by the Shanghai municipal government with uh, the, God, why I always get with via, correct? Yeah. Via. The, yeah. That's where they get that license and help from. It, and it was an, an effort by the Chinese to make uh, computers that don't rely on foreign uh, technology. I think, and I read over the last few years, they've been putting them in laptops and they just released, started releasing their first DIY uh, CPUs, I think is the, is the story. But yeah, I don't know if we'll ever see them come to the States, but it would be cool if they did. Well, right now, right, there's the Ryzen R5, or yeah, R5-1500X. So that's the six-core, no hyper-threading Zen 2 processor that they found, yeah, competes with the six-core i5s just fine. But they're only really selling it in China. Uh, and it's like $150. However, you can get it from Alibaba right now, sometimes from $130 to $160. And so if this comes up on Alibaba, there's a chance I might order it and check this thing out. I don't know. It's just exciting for me to see kind of a more VIA-based other competitor in the market. Uh, yeah, it is cool to see. Do you know how many cores they have? I, I, I was eight, looking at this. Yeah, it said eight cores, eight threads. So that's, okay. you know, so like maybe I have a backup server or something and I want the Chinese to spy on me, I just get this. <laughs> Although that's debatable. I've been meaning to put a podcast together about that. I've had some sources say that half of that Chinese spying stuff's bullshit. Half of it. Not all of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. 
But anyways, let us move on to story number two. So this is about the Eve Spectrum line of monitors. And it's funny because we haven't released that history or our memories of resolutions uh, upgrades die shrink yet. I might have to add an interstitial to it regarding this. I'll just see how well Gerard edited it first. But I mean, in that die shrink that hasn't come out yet, we basically talk about how we really thought we would have gotten farther by now in terms of price performance with like 4K 120 hertz gaming. But here they have what? A, a $600 4K 144 hertz IPS IGZO crystal monitor with one millisecond response times. I, I got to be honest, guys. I want to wait for OLED, but if my monitor broke and this was on the market for 600, I, I would be willing to get this. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, this this looks like um, I, I don't have the money to get it, but if I were to upgrade this, would I think some people would uh, say going from 4K 60 hertz to this, like that's arguably worth the upgrade. I mean, it's it looks like it's it'd be, be the price you got yours for, right? Yeah. You saved up a long time in high school for that one. Yeah, I did. But this looks like a really good monitor. Um, I don't know. The only drawback is it's only available for pre-order right now, and they're not saying they'll be launching it until Q4 2020. That's right. And that's the thing that made me like, I actually looked at the pre-order thing. I actually considered pre-ordering it already. But the thing is, it doesn't say it's coming out quarter two in 2020. What it says is quarter four for the one I want, which is, again, and eventually I'm going to need it because uh, I need a more color accurate and 4K for the resolution monitor for editing. And if it comes out, it sounded like kind of late quarter four. I'm not pre-ordering something 10 months ahead of time here. I mean, by then there might be LG OLED gaming monitors anyways. And also, uh, is this a... Uh an established company that's making this. I'm guessing it is, but... They're not like a, a major, major brand. I think they've done other Kickstarter launches before, so I think it's well known it's not a scam. We'll say that. Okay, good. Because that that's what I was going to say. The only thing that concerns me with stuff like this is this kind of looks like it might be a, uh, a Kickstarter that's pretending it's not. <laughs> so... Well, no, they're I, very upfront about it. And again, though, they're not LG, so... Hey, would it do I think it's a scam? No, but would it surprise me if this six hundred dollar four K one forty four hertz model gets pushed back to quarter one, and then by then there's an OLED competitor out, or at least something similar to this from Samsung out? No, it wouldn't surprise me, and that's why I just don't pre-order things that far in advance. Yeah, I, I'm just always nervous about that kind of stuff because pre-ordering stuff this far in advance, especially from a non-established or not super established company like LG or something. There's always the chance something happens with a smaller company that you just lost a hundred dollars. They are only asking for a hundred dollars though until they're in full production. So, yeah. The only other thing I'll add to the story is in the Discord. I saw a couple people say that like, look, they charge you a hundred dollars for a stand, and I'm like, I actually don't agree. I wish they would start removing the stands from some of the higher end monitors. Because um, why would I spend? $600 on a monitor and not have my own Visa stand. And they're not expensive now. You can get the one I got, I think was $55 and it supports three displays on it. And you've seen my stand. It's pretty nice, right? Yeah. And it's like also uh, people always talk about how those expensive those stands are and how it only has like 
$15 worth of materials. And I can't remember if I read this or you listened to it on a podcast. Maybe you said it. I don't remember. But it's like, if you actually look at the design of the stand, an equal amount of design has to go into the packaging for the stand, uh, production. And if you're not doing large production at scale, it's going to cost more per unit. So $100 isn't unreasonable. They're not LG. So this stand they're making is a lot of materials for something that's not high volume. Remember, the panel itself already exists. They chose the panel. So yeah. they're basically cutting out the middleman and saying, look, if no one's willing to sell something this nice for under two grand, fuck it, we will. <laughs> yeah, all to say, though, just the retooling of production lines and the design elements justify maybe a $100 price, even if the raw materials to make it are only like 10 or 15 bucks. That's that's all I'm saying is like a widely produced visa mount is going to cost less money just because production at scale, which I thought was a thing everyone knew about. But <laughs> well, yeah. And but yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is incredibly exciting. You know, this is I, I've, I've long said that I think we're still in the dark ages of the monitor price gouging, but the TVs are going to force them down and eventually someone will just make monitors for a reasonable price. And I think it's fair to say that, look, you know, a lot of people are asking me and they're getting mad at me for like shitting on 1440p, but it's because right now a 144 hertz, one millisecond 1440p monitor is like 400 bucks. By the end of this year, you're going to be able to get a 4K version for, well, and it's usually $500 too, for like 30% more money. And that'll have, you know, the ability to use the resolutions that the next-gen consoles will use as standard. More powerful GPUs are coming out. I just think if you got a 1080p 144Hz or some kind of 1440p monitor now, just wait, man. I really think that. I, I don't know. Would you agree? I definitely agree, yeah. And again, I, I can't emphasize this enough that LG's got a 48-inch OLED monitor coming, a TV coming out soon. It's not 55 now. Now the smallest will be 48. And I'm sure by the end, uh, by early next year, they will have a 32-inch version or a 40-inch version or something. And that's going to really start competing with these monitors directly. And everyone will respond accordingly. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing to wait on is when they yeah, actually make panels that that are small enough to be used for gaming, like 27 inches, which 27 inches, I would even say is on the upper end for what I like for gaming. That's what mm -hmm. I, I agree. That's what I have. I think, I think it might actually be 28 inches, but it's 28. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the last thing I would add to this is I noticed it has HDR. It has good HDR. It does not have back, uh, dimming zones. But I like that because a lot of the 120 hertz 4K monitors I've seen, I don't remember what they were. I think they were like three to 10 millisecond response times. And it's because they got these ridiculous 384 dimming zones. Dude, just make the display brighter. Don't give me the dimming zones and make it one millisecond. Th that's what I think. I don't, unless you're getting to what OLED or newer monitor tech uh, or, or display techs coming out now can do, which is, you know, effectively per pixel dimming, unless you can get close to per pixel. I'm not really interested in hurting my response times with a few hundred dimming zones. I mean, yeah, I think that's a pretty good point, actually. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to add to that. But. You know, someone who gets a 144 hertz monitor, the dimming zones are nice, but I think the response times, again, it's like, this is not worth sacrificing for PC gaming, I don't think. Anyways, though, let's move on. So the next story is about Rocket Lake. And it looks like it's going to use 
Well, that's funny thing. So everyone saw Comet Lake on desktops going to have 10 cores. Everyone assumed, well, Rocket Lake might just be a rebrand with um, 10 cores. And that's kind of what I heard at first too. But then it became pretty clear it's going to be eight cores. And again, watch my whispers of Golden Cove. Watch my whispers of Alder Lake video. I really think there's a good chance that what's going on in 2021, right? Right now, we're just going to... Look, 2020, I think, is going to be the year of shitty Intel desktop. <laughs> but I think 2021 is going to be the year where Intel brings out Alder Lake on 10 nanometer. There will be some 10 core, 10 nanometer flagship products, right? And below that, the 10 core Comet Lake sounds like a shit show. So they're just going to cap the 14 nanometer versions to eight cores they might use Willow Cove cores, or which are what Tiger Lake has. And then they're just going to make the cores, no GPU on die, and they're going to split it off and add a 10 nanometer, like 50 millimeter squared Tiger Lake GPU, which should be around an RX 560 in performance, somewhere or 460, somewhere around there. And I think that's the plan. They use those types of graphics with Alder Lake and Rocket Lake, but on Rocket Lake, it's its own die. It'll probably be its own die on Alder Lake too, then, if you thought about it right. But then Alder Lake will get the chiplet for the 10 nanometer part. But yeah, so that's what that looks like. What do you, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I'm just trying to think. So that's kind of interesting. So Rocket Lake might be the uh, lower end, um, like the lower end line of products that they put out mm. for gaming. Yeah. Um, and then what Alder Lake coincides with Rocket Lake, right? Or is that wrong? It sounds like they'll come out around the same time. Like Rocket Lake might come first and then Alder Lake above it. So the, the 10 or higher core counts for your so, i7s and i9s might be all 10 nanometer. And then they'll use 14 nanometer for the i5s and below. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily dislike that idea. I mean, it sounds like they might actually be trying to go for a semi-competitive APU type thing then. Well, yeah, and that's something to talk about too is it's like, I, people are being crazy harsh on Intel right now, and I'll have something to say about that in the Big Navi video, uh, which I think is already out. I think I said something about that, the Big Navi video, and I've actually gained another source at Intel over the weekend, and I really think uh, that there's a lot more to be said regarding what's going on there, so look for more videos for that. But in a nutshell, the idea that Intel's not going to keep increasing performance is absolute bullshit, I think. I just think 2020 is going to be a shit show for them. And that Tiger Lake's probably their only interesting product this year. Uh, I think 2021, you're going to see Golden Cove come out with an insane IPC increase over Skylake, like possibly 40%. The question will be if 10 nanometers fully working, whether it is or it's not, they will get higher than four cores, I think, Golden Cove products out. And that's going to be exciting. They're not going to roll over here. Rocket Lake will be substantially better than Comet Lake and Coffee Lake. The question, though, is, and this is the question people seem to have a problem with, the question isn't really, is Intel going to keep getting better? The question is, does it matter when AMD is Zen 3 and Zen 4 next year? <laughs> like, is it better enough? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I think that's where we just have to cross our fingers and hope that they get their act together. <laughs> Yeah, kind of what's going on here is what I almost hoped happened. Because I know some people were like, I just hope Intel can compete next year. This was in 2019. And I'm like, I don't. I want Intel to be, uh, their face to be pushed into the dirt. I mean, I want all products I hear about to be as good as they can be. But I'm not against Intel being AMD taking one or two victory laps for a year or two just so they 
can rebuild their company effectively. But yeah, if they can swing back at the end of 2021, that would be just enough time of AMD being on top uh, for them to be ready for whatever they got coming. So uh, that's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, and I think uh, there's a very strong argument to be made for the uh, most novel ideas always come from when you're when you've been pushed down. Um, so I, if they just recovered in a year, I feel like Intel might not learn any lesson from this. And they're just like, oh, we're back on top again. But I don't know, two or three years of AMD supremacy will have to actually make Intel reconsider the way they design products. Well, and again, like I said, I've got this new guy I'm talking to, and he pretty much backs up everything I've had from the other two sources as well, which is that Intel admits they had problems. I guess I'll say this now, actually, that sounds like a lot of it did really come from upper management and that they are super excited for Tiger Lake and Golden Cove. So whatever it is, they are legitimately excited about that. And they're hoping in the meantime, they can just do enough price cuts and <laughs> pump out enough 14 nanometer to make up for it. But that gets us to the next story. So number four is Intel desktop CPUs to get major price cuts in the second half of 2020 to try to hold on to market share against AMD Zen 3. And this is something I've talked about a lot in my <laughs> videos, and especially the first half of 2019 of just like, I don't think you guys get how inexpensive some of these chips are to make for Intel, that they really might cut prices in half, that by the end of 2020, that 9,900K you paid $500 for could be 250. And that's what this seems to sound like to me. I mean, yeah, I don't know. We've talked about it on the podcast before, too, where Intel could easily reduce prices by at least 30%. And I still think in some categories, they that wouldn't even put them at competitive pricing with what AMD has right now. So. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and, and yeah, I have said that. It's like, well, if you look at these four-core, eight-thread i3s coming out, even if they can overclock to five gigahertz or something, right? It's like, but what is this competing with? Like, would I really get a five gigahertz? I mean, what you're basically saying is that's a 7700K, okay? And did I ever recommend the 7700K over the 2700X? Nope. The 2700X <laughs> is 150 right now. So yeah, that and that's AMD's response. They're like, we beat the 7700K. We sold more 2700Xs than they did 7700Ks, or at least they did in the do-it-yourself market. And if that's true, that why would we change? We're just, look, hey, R5, 1600 at the bottom, that can destroy their four-core Pentiums. The four-core eight-thread i3s, 2700X will compete with it. And so where does that leave Intel? I mean, they're what? They're six-core 12-thread i5s? I mean, the 8700K is around the 3600 anyways, you know? So they'd have to put yeah. that at like two, and it's going to use more energy. And that's something I really got to stress here is it's like maybe you'll win in gaming against the 3600X, but... Is it worth double the energy usage? I don't know. <laughs> uh, although I actually do think the uh, eight and six core Comet Lakes will use less energy than their current iterations of Coffee Lake. I do think that. I think the 10 core is just pushing it too far, it sounds like. But anyways, though. Yeah. And so then where do you put the eight core then? You know, a 3800X is about 300 bucks already on sales. So, I mean, what? So what? Yeah, that eight core i7, I think it has to be 300. So then where do you put the 10 core? The 3900X is 500. That has 12 cores. They'll use less energy. Way less energy, uh, apparently. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think 400 bucks for the 10 core at most. And it really should be like 350. 
there there's no real justification for their pricing right now it's just i feel like holdovers from people thinking amd products should inherently cost less for some reason i think that remember amd is a charity changing it is a charity and that's important to remember they don't have stock prices to keep track of that they're trying to sustain they're just giving it away to us because they're so kind yeah and if amd stops being a charity they're now evil (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, because then it's a corporation and all corporations are evil. <laughs> but the again, and I've said this so many times, but and the the biggest problem I really have is that even if you had the 9900K, the same price as a 3800X, it's like, so now I'm still open to, again, even at the same price, it uses more energy, it doesn't have PCIe 4.0, and who knows what more security vulnerabilities are going to hit. So I think it should be less than the 3800X guys. Sorry, I know it's not, and plenty of you are buying it, but I that's just you can call me an AMD fanboy, but it's like, are these facts or are they not? Does the 9900K use more energy? Answer, yes. Does the 9900K not have PCIe 4.0? No. Does it have vulnerabilities? Yes. So I don't think the 10% higher single threaded performance makes up for all of that. It should be cheaper. <laughs> I just don't see how that there's anything wrong with that argument. But speaking of PCIe 4.0, number five. So Intel's 400 series chipset motherboards apparently lack PCIe 4.0 for the Comet Lake S, which isn't a surprise. But if you read this article, it's just kind of a really poorly worded article, actually. Uh, it, it seems like... Well, it's from Tech Power Up, so you know. Uh, it, it seems like... They might make it so the new Intel, I think it would be Z490 chipsets, have uh, at least the ability through a BIOS update to work with PCIe 4.0 once Rocket Lake and Alder Lake come out. So those motherboards will be maybe able to support PCIe 4.0 on uh, with Alder Lake and Rocket Lake, but not with At least with Lake. Rocket Lake, yeah. So it might be one of those things where they're not like they've got it working with PCIe 4.0, but they know that again, because they didn't plan for it. Comet Lake, which is basically just Skylake, just doesn't support it, but they figure they might as well make it compatible for now. Okay. Um, I think well, that's I mean, interesting. I, that's good that they're not completely uh, ignoring PCIe 4.0. I mean, I was surprised to see that this year they still don't have it on their motherboards, but. Yeah, and the other thing I'll add to this is, just as a heads up, like I have a lot of people that say, wait a second, so Intel's going to PCIe 5.0 with Golden Cove, so they're skipping 4.0? It's like, no, no. (laughs) Tiger Lake has 4.0, and Intel's done screwing around. So they're going to 4.0 with Tiger Lake and probably Rocket Lake then because the integrated graph, yeah, so they will with Rocket Lake too then. Which is going to be, which supposedly may have Willow Cove cores ported to 14 nanometer. And then they're just going to go straight to 5.0 with Golden Cove, or at least with the one right after that. You know, and I think we should expect Zen 4 to support PCIe 5.0 as well, by the way. Or is it, yeah, Zen 4. Zen, is that not Zen 3, though? No, Zen 3 will use the same PCIe 4.0. And then Zen oh, wait, yeah, 4 yeah. supposedly will be 5.0. Supposedly. That's what it sounds like. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know. That'll be fun. I don't know if you have much to add to that. No, uh, not really. I mean, PCI 5.0, what will that be at that point? That's Is that 64 gigabytes per second? 
It's double what 4.0 is. So I think that's correct. Okay. <laughs> All right. Number six, Lakefield popping up. And it's interesting. So, so this popped up from Apisac. He found this, which is a, a very reliable leaker on Twitter. And he or she said it's i5L16G7, continuing Intel's confusing naming schemes moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know if you have anything to say. I guess I'll I'll keep summarizing it's one CPU, five cores, five threads. It had a 1.4 gigahertz base and a 1.75 gigahertz turbo. And in single threaded it did incredibly well, meaning that's definitely a sunny cope core. It, and uh this is the uh possible um the possible new like CPU they're putting out that at that's low power. And has what was it like one uh, Sunny Cove core and t- four Atom cores? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see uh, whenever those are launched because I think that's an interesting idea for a low power CPU for like small netbooks. Yeah, I think um, the big takeaway here is. So far, this engineering samples boost clocks aren't that high, but at the very least, what I can say is this is built around the two to seven watt form factor. Like even if you TDP it up, it max uses seven watts. It sounds like, and so it's really meant to use like three watts. And this is the perfect again replacement for the a possible new MacBook Air because right now what they they or what they were using, I don't think they do anymore. What they were using for a while was these Core M's which were two cores, four threads that use like a 10-watt TDP. And, Mm -hmm. you know, having a 5-watt TDP with something that has five threads instead of four would outperform it and use half the energy. And if those MacBooks had 20-hour battery lives because they only had a 10-watt APU and it was basically molded out of battery, (laughs) like (laughs) you could potentially go to like a two-day battery life now. Which would be insane. That would be great for uh, like students, potentially. Yeah, that's the type of thing I'm hoping they do with. Again, I, I don't want to see this thing where they just make it thinner for no reason. I mean, ever since the MacBook Air, we're like, thin enough, guys. <laughs> you nailed the thinness. <laughs> There's literally no benefit to me being thinner. What I would prefer you do is just make the CPUs more efficient. The batteries take up as much of the space as possible and then make it so I could go on a trip for a weekend and I don't need to bring a charger or something. That would be amazing. Yeah, I know. that. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. And yeah, it looks like that might be a reality with these. So we'll see where, where they go with uh, Lakefield. Yeah, and again, it could be with Zen 3 too because that's something to point out. Again, if uh, that I've said in a video like, if you have an eight-core Renoir that uses 15 watts, okay. Well, so if you cut it down to six cores, you could probably make it use 10. Okay. Well, so if it's Zen 3 version, that's the only thing I wonder, too, though, is AMD could start competing with Lakefield simply with a cut-down Zen 3. Um, I mean, yeah, we'll see. It wouldn't be as small, definitely a- but it might use the same amount yeah. of energy and be much more powerful. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. That's definitely a possibility, I suppose. Anyways, though, let's move on to number seven. So Intel might be moving some of their products to 14 nanometer global foundries. What do you think about that? Um, what? So that be so they can increase fabrication at a, of like 10 nanometer products at Intel or 
R and D them more, or what? What would be the reasoning behind this? Or is it? It helps with capacity. Capa- it would help with capacity. Yeah, that's why it would help with capacity. Like, and there's absolutely no reason they wouldn't move the Celerons, Pentiums, and maybe I threes there, right? Like the uh, Global Foundry's 14 nanometer is every bit as good as Intel's at this point. I think, it, or or at least it's good enough to where you're not five gigahertz I threes should be fine. Your four core eight threads, and then they cut them down to Pentiums and Celerons if they need to. Um, you know, this is something Carbon Cry said on the Discord that I completely agree with. The question isn't if Intel can catch up with TSMC or even Samsung at this point. The question is, can <laughs> they catch up with global foundries? Because 14 nanometer isn't their newest. They've got 12 nanometer, and then they've also got 12 nanometer FDX, which outperforms that. So just shows you Intel has got to get to 10 nanometer. God. <laughs> But yeah, I don't, yeah I'm, I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that? No, uh, just that hopefully this is a, <laughs> I guess I don't know what this uh, points to, but hopefully they can get their shit together with 10 nanometers soon. I don't know. Yeah, well, I guess let's just move on right away and make that one a short one. Um, so number eight, new Intel security vulnerabilities. You know, we record, me and Dan do a podcast every two weeks. Uh, you know, we alternate between guests. Am I wrong? So it feels like every other podcast we do, we have to announce a new Intel security vulnerability. Yeah, I feel like we should have a little jingle play whenever there's a new security vulnerability that pops up now. You know what, Gerard? Uh, it's it up to you. If you want to add a jingle... <laughs> what if that was our jingle for security vulnerabilities? I mean, I think that would be a pretty good jingle for the uh, subject matter. So I'm pretty sure that's just the uh, jingle they play when the prior CEO of Intel enters a room. I think they he walks in and the speakers just go. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot to say about him in the Big Navi video, by the way. No, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, though, yeah, so researchers disclosed this new cash-out attack, and I think if I read this correctly, it actually affects Skylake and later? Uh, What is it? I think 6th to 10th gen, it said, so yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that would be, I believe Broadwell was 5th gen. So I think, I don't remember, I've lost track, I'm not sure why they're calling them gens anymore when they're not any better than the previous one, but... I mean, I really don't have much to say. I've actually been sent information from the server engineer, individual number one, I call him, about how bad it is. I haven't had a chance to read up on it yet. That'll probably be its own video or part of another podcast soon when I get around to it. But uh, yep, I don't know. This is, again, what I'm talking about when I say, would I get a 9900K or 3800X if they're the same price? 3800X, it's my answer. Uh, and I honestly, I kind of <laughs> think you're a fanboy if you think you should get the Intel one instead. I'm not the fanboy. You are for somehow justifying putting up with this insanity. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll say the only other big thing is uh, they're going to, uh, Intel's coming out with a patch for it. I guess I'm assuming it'll affect performance, but I don't know. Maybe this one won't. Who knows? I don't yeah. Know. And I know Intel's fixed some of like I remember that with the 6700K, there was one month where I definitely had a 10, 20% performance loss in Battlefield at my 
top frame rates I was hitting. But then it started to go back to just a 5% loss after a month. So they are, tr- what they do is they patch it immediately. You know, they try to minimize performance losses at first, but the, the main goal is <laughs> fixing the vulnerability. And then they'll release further patches that should hopefully lower performance losses a little. And the server engineer said that too, that he was receiving somewhere some of their servers were getting a bit less load put on them after some patches. So I don't know. But yeah, I don't know that yet. This is, of course, a developing story, and we'll update it once I have a chance to really dig into it. But um, yeah, uh, the reason I don't dig into it too fast anymore is because like, I've that ship has sailed in my mind mentally. Like, yeah. I don't recommend Intel. <laughs> I also just like that it came out of the University of Michigan, which means there's just labs around the country. Like, what's Intel fucking up now? <laughs> <laughs> That turns out a lot. (laughs) Anyways, Chicago Fire writes him, do you think that AMD will implement AVX 512 in Zen 3 or in the near future? For certain workloads, it can provide a remarkable improvement in performance. So to be honest, I don't remember if Zen 3 was adding that or not. But I do remember a big initiative in the upcoming Zen architectures is vastly superior AVX performance. And if I remember correctly, a big part of that simply was that AMD is working on making it so... Well, so anyways, I remember this started with Haswell. Well, it started right when they added AVX, but I remember specifically Haswell used a shit ton of extra energy using AVX workloads that to the point that in the BIOS of the motherboard, you could set a different uh, clock speed for AVX workloads. So it would actually downclock your overclock when you're <laughs> running AVX. And I know they've made it a little better since, but Intel still uses like their, if you look at their server chips, they have different ratings for AVX workloads than they do the other workloads. So it's, it's really worth pointing that out. That yes, AMD might not have AVX 512, but that their chips actually are running at higher clock speeds or they're running, you know, 256 instead. Anyways, though, I think that's what AMD's focus is. And I don't remember if 512 was being added yet. All righty. Number nine. So this interesting information about Z came from Adored TV's website. And it talked about how DG2 might be on seven nanometer TSMC in 2022, which a lot of people said, huh, what do you think about that information next to yours? And I was like, uh, I don't. So my information was 10 nanometer in 2021. (laughs) (laughs) If they go to seven nanometer in 2022, what this leak tells me is they're reserving. They've always, they've been saying for a while, they want to get to seven nanometer in 2022. So I'm sure, yeah, they've already tapped TSMC on the shoulder and said, Hey, look, we're going to, potentially want to go to you for our Golden Cove lineup or what, you know, on seven, when we die shrink, we might want to put it on seven nanometer in 2022. We might want you as a backup in case our node doesn't work by then because it's probably not going to work by then, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Which um, I guess what what I'm curious about is how how dynamic uh, TSMC can be with that then. Like, I mean, by 2022, what they'll be on to five. What are what are they expected to be on by 2022 again? Five TSMC. Nanometer? Yeah, well, so TSMC is on seven nanometer EUV and ramping six now or whatever. And which don't quote me, guys. I know I've probably fucked up something, saying it. but yeah, effectively they're <laughs> on seven nanometer EUV and six nanometer about now. 
And in 2021, I think iPhones are going to be five nanometer. So yeah, three nanometers planned for 2023, 2024. So they'll be on five by then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is mostly just how dynamic can TSMC be because it, I don't know. It can Intel just uh, like ask them to be there as a backup or something like that. Does that really work or. Well, they'll need to just just buy capacity eventually, right? But, I mean, yes, they can tap them ahead of time and say, hey, we're going to make sure this works on your node. Okay, I guess that makes sense. So, um, I don't know what that means. To me, that means that they're not confident to get that they'll be the 7 nanometer anytime soon, but... Well, at the very least, yeah, I agree. That's what that says. And again, my real emphasis here is just that... uh, I don't think this really affects anything I've reported, although it is a bit surprising because my understanding was, no, they really are going to switch some of their foundries over to 10 nanometer. And I want to actually talk about this too. It's something I talk about in the Big Navi video that the information I have, there's been a lot of harsh videos about Intel for the well, for the past three years. And this idea that like, it was mismanagement at the top of Intel that fucked 10 nanometer, according to a, someone that I talked to today. He said the problem was they knew 10 nanometer was having problems, I mean, years ago, and mm. that the CEO ignored them, thought they would always be on top, and didn't give them the resources they needed and to get more man hours fixing it on time, and that they are fixing it now, and they are spending the money they need to now. So again, don't assume they're not going to have 10 nanometer as a real node by mid-2020, And if so, I would assume they'll start tooling up their 14 nanometer foundries to switch to 10. And I don't know why they wouldn't just use their 10 nanometer. It's kind of close enough to TSMC 7, I would think, that you might want to keep it in-house. But I don't know. You know, I guess we'll just have to see. It's I will say it does not both show confidence, though. And And whether it happens or not, I mean, Intel would be an idiot if they weren't preparing to switch outside for some of their products when they need to soon. Because they can't let this... If 10 nanometer doesn't pan out, if 7 nanometer doesn't pan out, they need to be willing to to start going to TSMC and Samsung for at least their flagships. I agree with that completely. Like, hopefully, if they're since they're under better management now, they won't have to do that. But they should they should maybe have to do that as a contingency plan. Currently, I am in the process of breaking down my mining rigs. It's just not profitable anymore, and I want to use some of the spare parts, plus a few new ones, to build my first benchmarking station. Now, what most people might not be able to guess is that my mining rigs all used Windows, and ones with legitimate keys. But getting those legitimate keys was a hassle. I was forced to scour eBay and be discerning and making sure that the people selling those $10 Windows keys weren't a scam. And sometimes the keys didn't work and I had to fight for my money back. But you don't have to if you go to CDK Offers. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to user center and then my purchase orders to get the code just use this code with a normal download of windows 10 professional from microsoft's website all right links in the description
All right, let us move on to story number 10. Now, I actually did a large, like a bigger, one of my bigger videos on this uh, just because I had so much to say about the MX350. For those who don't know, a leak came out on video cards about the MX350. And it was talking about how there's a lot of evidence it might use some version of GP107. Now, currently the MX150... MX-150 launched, I think it was 2017. It was Pascal-based. And I remember that. That card really impressed me because I remember, right, 2017 is when Zen Plus came out. I mean, Zen 1. When Zen 1 came out, when we had Zen 1 CPUs and APUs, I was like, oh, well, NVIDIA is out of the low-end laptop market. But then NVIDIA launches this, you know, 16-nanometer or 14 nanometer Samsung, actually, Pascal card. That's only 74 millimeter squared. 74? That's <laughs> half of the die size of Renoir. And it was so small, so efficient, that they could actually have it share the same heat sink as an quad-core i7. And it probably, you know, that GDR5, two gigabytes of GDR5, that's like 10 bucks. The die itself, 10 to 20. So they're probably selling $30 cards as strong <laughs> as a 750 Ti. And if it can share the same heatsink as the i7, or at least the heatsink isn't prohibitively bigger, well, there you go. I would rather have, and I bought it twice now, a quad-core i7 and a separate graphics card. Less heat density, less overheating than the APU having to throttle the CPU when you're using the graphics card. And it outperformed AMD's APUs by 20-30%. And so I was like all, and it had its own graphics memory too, right? So my 16 gigabyte graphics card is really 18 gigabytes total, which matters. And yeah, I was all in. And then I thought for sure they'd go with something bigger, but they just rebranded it as the MX250. Now the MX250 actually outperformed the old one by like 20, 30%, especially if you undervolted it and overclocked it because it was just more mature. And you would think they would have made a Turing replacement, because the MX uh, or the, uh, what is it? GTX 1650 was a 200 millimeter square GPU. It's only 20% smaller than a 5700 XT, by the way, Dan, the 1650. <laughs> so that's too big to fit in the same laptops. It's just too big, fit in the same laptops as an MX250, and it costs too much to make. So I like, but what I didn't understand, right? If the MX250 is 384 Pascal cores, why didn't they make a 100 millimeter squared 512 Turing core, you know, GTX 1630 slash MX350? Yeah. You could have had one 64-bit bus and, you know, GDR6 is double the capacity. You could have a four gigabyte, one, one four gigabyte GDR6 chip over a 64-bit bus. It would have had the same bandwidth as the 1050 Ti. It would have performed the same. You would have had, you know, a 10 watt 1050 Ti. That would have been sick. I wouldn't have cared about <laughs> Renoir if that's what happens. But that's not what they did. And so it sounds like they're like having some weird cut down 1050 Ti, which is 150 millimeter squared, probably just small enough where they think they can get away with fitting it in there. I suspected it might be the three gigabyte version. Although they might cut down the bus to 64 gigabytes, I think. I mean, 64 bit and just give it two gigs again, which I don't care what it is. Two gigabytes is not enough anymore. Like it's fine in my one-year-old laptop. But in a new laptop, yeah. that's not enough video memory. For for even 720p, it's a problem in some games. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I haven't played on 720p in a while, but I mean, it would come as no surprise to me if two gigabytes is pretty much on. It is pretty much prohibitively, eh, prohibitively small. 
Jesus, I can't say that word tonight. Uh, too small of a uh, amount of RAM, though, to really play any games at this point. So, yeah, I mean, I just summarized it for everyone listening if they didn't watch that video. I mean, what are your thoughts? I think this is, and again, like, my point is Ice Lake's about as strong as an MX-150, not a 250, uh, almost an MX-150. Tiger Lake's going to double that. So that's going to beat, right? That'll probably beat the, uh, or be about the same performance as an MX-350 that is going to use 15, 20 watts. There's no way they're making this cut down 1050 Ti 10 watts. At least I don't think they could. <laughs> like, and like, so then the MX-330, which is a rebranded 250 again, like, I don't see how that is going to make sense in anything. Tiger Lake's going to crush the MX-330 and Renoir is easily going to crush it, just easily. So you have this yeah. thing where none of these cards make any sense to sell anymore. And the MX-350, this weird cut down 1050, probably ain't going to beat Renoir or Tiger Lake by much, if, if at all. I think it might even be about the same. And it takes up 150 millimeter squared now and doesn't have enough RAM. What's the point, Ned? Like, I, I don't get it. What's the point? I agree. I, it, my only thought is maybe there was some, I don't know what problem could arise from it, but maybe there's some issue with like a theoretical 1630 that doesn't exist. But I, I, I don't know why they wouldn't move to do, uh, make something like that instead. Yeah, you know, I talked to the good old gamer about it, and we'll have a lot to say in a discussion we're going to do pretty soon, but maybe before this comes out, probably not, but maybe, that it's pretty, like, his. He, what he said to me on YouTube at the very least was it's like, well, I think they thought they could just skate by with this, and it's like, well, the MX250 came out in early 2019. It came out, like, a year and a half after the MX150, I think, and so now this is coming out 2020. So a year and a half after the MX250? No, I, I, it doesn't make any sense why, like if they, it took them two years, by the time the 250 came out, Turing was already out. It just doesn't make any sense to me that they thought they could skate by this long. And obviously they thought they could have, obviously. Of course, the point is NVIDIA thought they could get away with still selling this. But why they thought they could underestimate AMD and NVIDIA so much is, Beyond me. And, and I know some people, like, this is a high-volume market right here. Like, tons of people buy GT 1030s and these lower-end laptops. And Renoir is fitting cut-down Renoirs into $600 laptops. And, I mean, people would buy this and say, hey, I like my NVIDIA graphics card. Now that I have more money, I'm out of college, I'm going to buy one with, like, a 3060. But now they won't say that. I guess their only thought is they need to put out a new product that they didn't, for some reason, didn't design or whatever. So they're just doing this uh, kind of lazy fix to try to keep their products on the brands they're currently on, which I'm curious in how well that's going to work because it looks like at least a decent amount of brands are going to be moving to Renoir. Or not moving to, but at least putting out SKUs with uh, Renoir APUs in them. Well, they should be. And that brings us to number 11. So AMD's Renoir offers 60% higher performance per compute unit compared to the previous generation Vega compute units. It's not RDNA, but it is not normal Vega. In many ways, this is a third gen. This is, a, this is basically a new generation of GCN yet again, basically. And... I always thought it was mostly about the clock speed. Like, you know, in most APUs, the Vega compute units would boost to about 1,200 megahertz or 1,300 maybe on desktop, 1,400. And 
you would go, and I just assume since these were supposedly going to hit 1800 megahertz, it's like, yeah, that's probably why. It just, but no, it sounds like here about 30% of it is improvements to the architecture and power handling characteristics itself. And so, no, it really has higher IPC. What do you say? 20% higher from that. So yeah, like 28% higher IPC. And then there's the higher clock speeds. And they said that these power saving and IPC enhancements actually haven't been applied even to RDNA 1.0 yet. And this is going to be hmm. part of what makes RDNA 2.0 better. So I'd say, in other words, I think we should expect at least like a 20-30% IPC increase with RDNA 2.0. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. It's um, I find it curious that they still, for their APUs, are using a Vega graphics, but it's clear that Vega is... <laughs> very clearly still uh, able to be further matured. So I don't know. I'm very excited for Renoir laptops because actually I might be in the laptop market this year. So <laughs> You haven't had a laptop for a year? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I think this is probably the perfect time just for you because, again, it's not even just about the fact that you'll finally get $800, $1,000 laptops with, you know... A, a lot of RAM, NVMe drives, and this eight-core, sixteen-thread that can game. I mean, heck, can play AAA games from next gen. That's what really excites me. What's really cool is the cut-down version with six compute units should still perform. You know, better than an MX250, though. It should still perform. You know, right kind of up there, right, like three fourths of a RX460 is what I expect. And it'll have six cores and 12 threads. And that should be in $600 laptops with NVMe drives and 16 gigs of RAM. And using what, like 15 watts? Yep, something? that's it. Yeah. Whole APU. Yeah, I mean, so for the like discrete option that NVIDIA has had for years now for these lower power things with the like MX150 and MX250, I feel like those need to use like less than 10 watts to make any sense in laptops still, but which I don't think exactly. is going to happen. <laughs> to make any sense at all, or they need to be, you know, at the level of like a 2060, like like yeah. a, like a complete tier above it. And even then it's like, it just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Like this is the level of performance. And this is really important. The problem with my first MX150 laptop was it only had a, well, it had 16 gigabytes of RAM, but it was DDR, it was low power DDR3, so 1600 megahertz. So there were some games like Battlefield that just got shit on in performance because it needs fast RAM. My new one with an MX250, okay, the, it has 2400 megahertz DDR4. That gave me actually like a 50% boost in some games that alone, I think, to be honest. <laughs> and then the 20% faster GPU was nice. And the better, and you know, the, I'd say the CPU is 20% better too, even though it was quad core i7 to quad core i7. Anyways, you know, Whiskey Lake over KB Lake R. It really was like 20, 30% better. Anyways, though, like that still then though ran into the problem of where a quad core that throttles to two gigahertz while you're gaming, eh, there's some games where that's not enough anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're built around, you know, eight threads at five gigahertz or 12 threads at four. And what's really cool about Renoir is it looks like it should get eight cores up to about 3.5 gigahertz. That will, even if you have to turn down settings to all low and 1080p, it should run the AAA games of next gen, even if the load times are longer. 
And to be able to do that on a 15-watt laptop is just incredible. Yeah, I know. And those lower power, smaller laptops are the kind of things I'd be looking for because those high power laptops, even if they have strong, discrete graphics, it's just, I don't want to have a two hour battery life. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and, and yes, you can plug it in and game, but it's like, no, but I love that with my NV13, if I'm on the airplane, I can actually play Doom for like three hours on battery. Yeah, and that's pretty nice to have. <laughs> and I mean, with this Renoir, these Renoir laptops, it could be four or five hours. Yeah, because, well, how much does your system use right now? Your laptop use, I mean, like, what, 25 watts? Or you've it, done... It, it can, yeah, I've done extensive testing with it. It can, peak, the processor can technically peak up to 22 watts and the graphics card up to, like, 12. But I've, you know, undervolted and limited the clock speeds on both so that the processor's never using more than 10 watts and the graphics card's never using more than 10. And in reality, the processor's usually using about 7 to 8 watts. So yeah, I mean, I basically have limited it to about 15 to 20 watts. And yeah, it lasts a few hours there. And if this is 15 watts total, I mean, heck, imagine undervolting. I think you can get to four now. Uh, maybe, yeah. But anyways, yeah, I think that's really exciting. And let us move on to a reader mail. Autobahn writes in and he says, if you had a son named Ice Lake, who was a really good boy, always did his homework, but was a bit fat and ate too much, and your new neighbors moved in constantly talking about how great their goddamn son Renoir is. Renoir this, Renoir that. Six scholarship, our baby boys got eight scholarships. Won't shut their damn mouths about it. What would you do? Hide your son till he gets in shape or just run with it? Act like it's no biggie. It's not that bad, right? <laughs> Interesting analogy. <laughs> It's an interesting point to be made that Ice Lake is a legitimate increase over what they've had before, but that he gets a little fat sometimes. And while it's impressive, all of a sudden Renoir shows up and, you know, oh, no one cares about Ice Lake immediately. And that maybe we should just hide Ice Lake until Tiger Lake comes out. Yeah. Um, I think that's the analogy. I get, yeah, I get what he's saying. Um, you need to put out some products every, like, I don't know six months to year and a half, depending on what they're doing to like remain relevant in the discussions or maybe, maybe you don't, but that seems to be what the companies have decided they need to do. I, I don't know. Maybe going silent for a year would be a better idea, but Intel doesn't agree with me Yeah, or doesn't agree with that statement. I don't know if I even agree with that or not. Well, I think let us move on to story number 12. Big Navi. Big Navi. <laughs> so, but this was interesting in the earnings call. AMD, Lisa Sue talked about how they're going to refresh RDNA possibly from top to bottom this year. At least that's what I took it as that. Let me, let me actually just read this directly. Lisa Sue said, in 2019, we launched our new architecture and GPUs. It's the RDNA architecture, and that was the Navi-based products. You should expect those will be refreshed in 2020. And we will have our new next-generation RDNA architecture that will be part of the 2020 lineup. So to me, that sounds like they're going to refresh the whole lineup this year. So when you say refresh, you mean upgrades to all of them, though, right? Like, and, well, well uh, yeah, and, and people forget the RX 580 came out with almost no rumors until like a week before it launched. And I think it came out like 10 months after the 480. So if the 5700 XT came out in July, 
Yeah, I don't know. There could be a 5750 XT, which again, might just be 16 gigabit per second memory and a slight clock speed bump. So like a 10% performance boost. That might come out with a lower price, like 300 bucks. And they might just launch that quarter two. That really Hmm. wouldn't surprise me with slight hardware efficiency and, you know, uh, hardware bugs fixed and stuff like that. That's interesting. I feel like I've criticized NVIDIA for kind of doing a similar thing where I feel like maybe they should just call it a new line to avoid confusion. But Well, they could call it the 5750, not the 5700 XT Super. Yeah, that's true. I still think it's confusing and just call it the 6700 or whatever you're going to do. because well, I, I actually completely I completely disagree with you. I'm tired mm-hmm. of switching generations when it's the same fucking architecture every half year. <laughs> well, it's the same card. It's just overclocked. So I don't know why you can't do 5750. Eh, yeah, I, I suppose that's true. As long as the as long as they don't start releasing lo- so many cards that there is a <laughs> well, I would assume weird, uh, I would assume they discontinue the 5700 though, and not do this yeah, bizarre thing in Nvidia's doing, which just is confusing the shit out of everybody. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess if they're just kind of making them all a little more powerful and then calling them something slightly different, that's and then discontinuing everything. That that's uh, that is different than the uh, utterly baffling way Nvidia has been selling cards for the past couple of years. But this is something I talk about in pretty large detail in my Big Navi video that I, I assume just came out before we recorded this uh, or before this drops, and that's that I, I have a source that said, and, and this has been said forever, but again, a a source said to me recently, again, he reiterated, remember, the 5700 XT was always meant to be the 590 replacement. It was too strong to be a 570 or a 580, you guys, but it was the 590 replacement. They were intending to sell it for like 300 bucks, and they got away with selling it for 400 because NVIDIA is selling a weaker card for 500, so (laughs) they're like, fuck it, we'll sell it for 400. That doesn't mean, I mean, you already see the prices going down. You've already seen the 5700 non-XT drop below 300 briefly a few times. It wouldn't surprise me if they refresh it 5-10% stronger and then just sell it for 350 or 300 and then they roll out the 5800 XT at 450, the 5900 XT at 600, the 5950 XT at like 800 or something. And I want to touch on that too because another story Uh, I don't know if I have the article in here, but it's definitely related to this is when they talk about what RDNA is going to be, you know, they're going to refresh the top end with RDNA 2.0 is what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. They, They were quoted as saying it's going to be disruptive 4K performance. And when I talk about disruptive 4K performance, the only other card that I think was disruptive was the 290X. I mean, look, the Titan was kind of the same level of performance, but it was $1,000. The reason the 290X was disruptive was because it brought 4K 30 to 40 hertz gaming to $500. And before that, the only way you were gaming in 4K was a Titan, and it was weaker. It was 1000 Would you agree? <laughs> I think that's the only time we've actually seen a disruptive 4K gaming card because it actually changed what it meant to game in 4K or what it, what it took. Um, I mean, yeah, I agree with you on that level. I, I guess I'm not sure what she means by it when she says disruptive. Well, well remember that you had 7950 Crossfire, and that was like still pretty terrible at 4K when you got that monitor. Well, that, that was terrible at 4K just because it didn't have enough RAM. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but uh, think about that, right? No, I no, I'm, I'm just saying I I don't know what she means by disruptive. Maybe it's just some buzz term she's using to for marketing, though. Um, I don't think she would do that, Dan. I don't think she mm-hmm. would. Ju- you think she would just say it's disruptive 4K performance, and then it can't be to 2080. Maybe not the 2080. I'm I'm expecting Big Navi to at a minimum beat the 2080, but I, maybe for a lower price. But I, I don't know if it's going to be the Titan at a lower price. I hope it does, and it easily could. They have done that in the past. My opinion is if you're using HBM2E and 80 compute units, it would be a fucking disaster if it doesn't beat the Titan. Like straight Yeah, up. I mean, if that's what Big Navi is, definitely. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the important thing about disruptive is, and this gets to a reader mail here, so let's just start with that. John Maynard writes in and he says, question for the PC Hardware Loose Ends episode, which obviously this didn't make its way into there. It was too late. Do you think AMD is really going after the crown when it comes to the performance of Big Navi or rather for a superior best bang for the buck solution? Which leads me to the main question. What in your honorable, I don't know if it's honorable, I just said the F word like 10 times, uh, would be the best choice for AMD and why? Well, I certainly do not consider myself as a fanboy of either AMD or NVIDIA, bought and loved, hated both equally in the past. I feel like whatever AMD is coming up with, and the clock is ticking, by the way, NVIDIA will just stomp them with an insanely vague chip that is not even designed that well. (laughs) Well, I think... I think they've got to design a good chip. I think they should go for the crown. So the RDNA 1.0 was always a stepping stone, a bridge out of the GCN decade, is how I like to put it. <laughs> um, and that this is going to be the real big kahuna that actually is, that actually scales much higher than the performance they had before. I think that's what they're doing. And so I don't think it's about going for the crown. I think it's about you have a design and you make it as good as you can. And right now, that sounds like 80 compute units. And if it is, you know, we'll have to see. I, again, I can't confirm it is, but man, I, I really think the top one is. There's so much leaks going on. It's like, come on. like and, and again, it's called scalable. Why would they scale past 64 compute units and then just go, oh, 68? Like they're good. Like I don't know why they wouldn't go double the fifty seven hundred XT, especially if that was always planned to be the three hundred dollar card. That was always planned to be the three hundred dollar card. They're always planning to make a six hundred dollar card. Again, that, that's common sense in my opinion. I mean, yeah, the fifty seven hundred XT. It's it's just a kind of weird card because it's well, it, it's a mid range card that was sold for an insanely high price for a while. And, well, not insanely high price, not for the market, but for what I think it should be worth. And yeah, it, it, it's pretty clear. I think AMD needs to at least go for a really good high-end chip at some point, which if they're successful in doing RDNA 2.0 with 80 compute units, that, that thing is going to be a monster. I don't know if it's, maybe it won't hold the performance crown for long, or maybe it never will hold the performance crown, but I think it will be better price performance than what ever NVIDIA has to offer. And this gets me to the crux of my argument. Some, a big thing I talk about in the video uh, about Big Navi is for it to be disruptive 4K performance. So so again, let's, let's back up a bit again. The 290X was disruptive because it was $400 for the 290. And then the 290X was only about 8% better. And that was 550. They brought 4K gaming to 550 and they made it possible, period. Disruptive because period... At $400, you can now game in 4K. 
at all. He couldn't even do it before. <laughs> and then after that, it was just never the same. You know, he had Maxwell come out, which was good. And Fury was stronger, but those cards came out two years after the 290X. And while they were, you know, eh, a good 50, 30, 40% better, it was like, I remember the Titan X Maxwell and they were marketing it as some kind of, you know, 4K. But if you have G-Sync with 4K, it works. And it's like, I don't think anything changes if the 290X was gaming in 4K when it came out at 40 frames. And then Titan X Maxwell comes out and it's 45 frames two years later. I, and now it's $1,200 or something. Like, how did that change anything? Like, that's not disruptive. And then when we, and you know, the Fury had four gigabytes of RAM, which had limitations, and it was 650, not disruptive. Again, it basically brought 4K kind of 60 gaming to a higher price point than the 290 was. Like, that's not disruptive. No card since then has been disruptive, arguably actually since the 5700 XT, which I think is a true... 4K gaming card for 400 bucks again. But it's really just a game. So I think to be disruptive, there needs to be a top-end card that beats the Titan RTX a decent amount and brings real premium 4K gaming, real premium 4K 120 hertz gaming to below $1,000. There needs to be some card that brings 4K 120 hertz gaming below 1000 and brings a, like 4K 60 hertz ultra, no drama, 60 hertz minimum, just fucking crank up the settings and play, you asshole. That type of performance to 4K at about 5 to 650. If they bring that and then they bring, or, or, you know, I guess even 500, I should say, right? Don't you think, like, to be disruptive again, I think you got to bring 4K Ultra 60 gaming to like the $500 price point and you got to bring 4K 120 hertz below 1,000. Yeah, I feel like you have to. And I feel like that might, be a reality especially with the fact that the new consoles are about to come out they're four to five probably going to be somewhere in the four to six hundred dollar range and at least what they're saying they're going to have is 4k gaming now probably isn't going to be 4k ultra gaming but with i I think that i think it's going to be the equivalent of it though i'm just going to jump in there (laughs) but uh i think they need there that might be a major problem for uh graphics cards because well you can just buy a 4k gaming system for the price it costs for this fucking graphics card that you're selling for no you can buy two of these consoles for the price that nvidia is selling (laughs) which is a a valid point where and that's why it's like well you know so like i think there's a chance the 5950 xt you know if they really do have a gdr6 and hbm controller on the top card i think you just have this option where they might yes they might have a 1500 version that beats the titan rtx by a lot and it's like you know hbm 2e but it's really the replacement to vega frontier right and -hmm. they cut it down and they have an HBM version for like $900, but it can do 4K 120. And then they cut it down more, and the 5800 XT is just GDR6, but it's like 40% better. It's like right up there with the Titan RTX or just below it for like $500 or $600, probably $600. I think they kind of have to do that to not look like idiots next to the consoles. Because it's like Uh, one graphics card versus an entire console. I would hope... For the price of the Xbox Series X, which sounds like it's going to be six hundred, we'll see. Sounds like it's going to be six hundred. I would hope the graphics card's twenty percent stronger, and at least for the same price of that entire console. Yeah, and uh, back to the question that we were or- originally started this off answering. He says, 
NVIDIA will just stomp them with an insanely big chip that is not even designed that well. I mean, that's the thing is with consoles coming out at that price point for that level of performance, uh, NVIDIA is going to need to go be able to actually design a card well again or just uh, lose the discrete market eventually. I don't know. Which maybe they don't care. Maybe they want to focus on AI in the professional market. I mean, that certainly seems to be they want to move prices up as high as they can so they can make higher profit margins off gamers as well. But yeah, I don't know. I, I keep saying that I think people are underestimating how aggressive NVIDIA might get with Ampere. Because if you have a $600 Series X and a $500 uh, PS5, and they're roughly 4K Ultra with some ray trace with light ray tracing consoles and you know NVMe drives in them and whatever. If that's what you have, if, if like for instance, I'm pretty confident the PS5 is 20 gigabytes of RAM total. Like you can't just launch a 10 gigabyte 3080 for 700 dollars. Like it looks so stupid. Like even if it was stronger, it would look so stupid. Like who the fuck's gonna buy that? It's like no, fuck that. This is 500. It's 80% as strong. It has more RAM than your $800 graphics card. I really think NVIDIA might get more aggressive than people expect. And, and, and I think because of the consoles and the same reasons, AMD might too. I just think this has been a shitty period in graphics card pricing. Sorry. From 2017 yeah. to 2019, things sucked. Well, when did the first Titan come out? Oh, uh, 2013? Yeah. So I can't, I can't say it goes all the way back to 2013, but I would say like, what, 2014, 2015, when they really started getting egregious with the Titans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, I guess let's move this on, though. I mean, so number 13, Ampere, supercomputer this summer. So what I take away from this story is that if NVIDIA is preparing their professional cards for this summer, they announced Turing professional cards months before their gaming cards. And this is 75% better at these compute tasks, not for gaming guys. Um, I think that means, yeah, end of 2020 is when Ampere actually comes to consumers. And if I'm wrong, I'll admit it, but it's not coming before summer. Let's put it that way. Probably fall at the earliest. Yeah, that's important to remember is their recent graphics cards architectures by NVIDIA, um, their professional uh, architectures that they're throwing to us because they can tool it to be a gaming card. It's not inherently a gaming card, so it's not going to come out before then, I wouldn't think. That would be odd if they're they are focusing on their secondary market before their primary market. Well, yeah, and, and let's remember that the—let me think back here. So I think—so Maxwell was designed for gaming first. It was actually designed for mobile gaming first, <laughs> and it worked. It was insanely efficient. That came to gamers first, actually, I think. And Pascal was a follow-up on that. That was when NVIDIA conquered the gaming desktop market, is when those gaming-first architectures came out. And they won. So they decided to focus on compute-first again, which they needed to because Vega actually was a problem for them in the compute market. And so then they come out with Turing, or, or with Volta, and that came out in 2017. I remember that because AMD had just launched the HBM-powered Vega cards. And then like a month later... Or a few months later, NVIDIA announces like for sale that December, Volta for $3,000. And now they had an HBM2 3096-bit, no, 3072-bit, 12-nanometer card. So remember, they had 12-nanometer, 800, and I think it was 15-millimeter squared uh, Volta Titan a year before Turing came out. 
Mm-hmm. And the Turing Professional cards, I think, came out like four or five months before the gaming cards. So I just don't... I really think whatever is going on... And I mean, they just refreshed the super cards in laptops. Does that sound like the actions of someone who's about to bring seven nanometer <laughs> ampere to laptops and gaming? I just don't think it does. And so, yeah, that's all I got to say is, I mean, remember, Volta came out a year before Turing to gamers. And even the professional Turing was months before that. So I really think if this is summer... And don't get me wrong, they might do a paper launch of the gaming cards at the same time because they might need to if Big Navi is actually impressive. But that's what that points to to me. So Stefan writes in, just like you can if you support us on Patreon, and he says, rumors for the last years always said Apple is working on advancing their ARM chips for using them in their Macs and ditching the Intel CPUs. With 5 nanometer around the corner and Intel still not offering chips for Apple in 10 nanometer, do you think this step would hit Intel hard? Apple sells around 20 million Macs a year, and most of them don't use the cheap processors. Also, could this impact AMD, but the, but the number of chips in a smaller way, when they need less GPUs because the integrated GPU in the SOC is good enough for most tasks? So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, Intel has been working for a while to get their own haven't they been working to try to get their own CPUs on their Macs or not really? Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that would be a big impact to, uh, I would think to Intel because Intel, I'm assuming, uh, Apple is one of Intel's bigger customers. I, I didn't realize, didn't realize they sell 20 million Macs a year. That's a <laughs> lot. <laughs> yeah. I think it would definitely hurt Intel more. And I think there's always the chance that they could bring the, well, I mean, their gra- uh, Apple's ga- graphics architecture isn't bad either. But I wouldn't surprise me if they brought out their Mac CPUs and then still used AMD graphics. And AMD's been licensing their graphics to people a lot lately. So I could see that definitely hurting Intel more than AMD. I don't know if I have that much more to add besides that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess... That's a good point, is, though, I guess, really to highlight that if Apple's getting to 5 nanometer, uh, I think they're, yeah, they're making 5 nanometer Apple chips this year, actually. Like, well, if, it, if Intel's that far behind, like, they, that might be the thing that might finally make them completely switch to their own stuff. All right, let us move on to the final story, Dan, shall we? Yep. Whoop, whoop. All right, so the RX 5600 XT is out. You know, people forget that our previous podcast was like right before I think that was officially out. And yep, it's 10% cheaper, 10% weaker than the 5700. Woo! 1600 series is officially stupid. I'm not sure I have that much more to add about the value of it, though. If memory serves me correctly, when we recorded, it wasn't... It was going to be like 20% weaker when we first recorded because we didn't know they were going to do this last-minute BIOS release. Yeah, so I mean, I don't really have too much to add to it at all because, like, what we talked about two weeks ago is what happened, and I feel like what we expected to happen is is was the result. <laughs> well, the difference is though, Nvidia did drop the price of the twenty sixty six gigabyte, and when they did that, AMD released a last minute uh, BIOS update that I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I this is something I want to talk about. I wasn't sure this would be a die shrink or not. I think we can fit it into this episode. Um, so last minute, NVIDIA says, fuck it. We're going to drop the price of the 2060 
to $300 to compete with a 280-5700, which still isn't enough. It's weaker, so who cares? But in response, it was going to be basically the same card for slightly more money. AMD decides to do this last-minute BIOS release, which makes me wonder if they had it the whole time or not. I don't know. And they made their 5600 XT basically be almost a 5700, at least in 1080p. So it completely crushes the 2060. And the problem I have with this is of how much a mess it was. If you bought a 5600 XT at launch, and it would have gotten good reviews, so a lot of people might have, you then had to download a BIOS. But I'm sure there's a lot of people that bought it after seeing reviews and didn't update the BIOS. Although every review seemed <laughs> to talk about it, so I don't know, maybe not. But I don't know, if you're in an OEM PC and you just look at one chart and you just never update it, I don't I, it just... I don't get what the fuck's going on with AMD. Like, why was it so hard for them to make it that strong right away? I mean, I really have no clue why. I would, why, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> so Carbon Cry writes in, and he says, a topic I figured could be interesting. The tendency of people to focus on one aspect of the issue and not the others. Case in point, the 5600 XT. I remember a week ago, the prevailing attitude was congratulatory to AMD winning over NVIDIA with the upgrade to the 5600 XT, which I want to cut in here and just say this. I think people, you know, why do I give AMD a break or do this? I don't. The reason I thought, for instance, the 5500 XT was fine is because it was a 1660 for less money with more RAM. That's what it was. And it the 4 gigabyte version was the same as the 1650 Super, except it was AMD's. I don't, so I don't have anything to, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, but one came out first. Who gives a fuck? They're on the market at the same time. <laughs> and it came out yeah. first like a month before it, or like a week before it, guys. So when you say it came out first, it's like, give me a break. It's not like they were selling 1650 Supers for a year. Come on. Anyways, though, same goes for the 5600 XT. It's like, look, it's it crushes the 1660 Ti. But it doesn't really change enough. I don't, it's it's a six, and here's my problem. It's a six gigabyte card that's 280. What the fuck is no? I I think it I, I think it should be 230. I, I don't I, I, I mean, no, no one should buy this over a 5700. Or use yeah. Vega. Yeah, I mean the, the entire market, it, at least the entire market of new cards right now is overpriced. Like that's why. Yeah, nothing's gotten Besides better. Besides maybe the 5700. I think I do think that yeah, 5700 yeah. XT is actually legitimately good. What what is that selling out right now? Like 4 Three, or 300. And then the 5700 oh, okay. XT is like 360 with AIB models. Yeah, that's models. Not, that's not awful. I mean, I would definitely get that over the 5600 XT then. It's not it's not a uh, like seismic shift in the price of your PC. It's like 20% better than a Vega 64. The Vega 64 used to cost more. So it's like, you know, I was okay with the 5700 XT, but it's like all of this stuff, it's just, I don't know. So Carbon Cry goes on. Even I thought it was a win for AMD, thinking purely in the respect of relative performance to the 1660 Ti. But I hadn't thought about for a second was why the original clocks were set lower or what the change means to AMD partners. It didn't just occur to me, well, it should have like that was, and, and I think uh, what I what he's saying, what I'm saying is that would have been a nightmare for AIBs and reviewers. And like, what is this indecisiveness? This was again maybe going to be a die shrink, but I think we can just talk about it for five minutes here. 
what is going on with AMD's indecisive actions in their graphics market? Like when you look at Zen right now, it's like, boom, 3950X. Yep, we're charging 750. We're not lowering the price afterwards and it's going to sell out and it's going to crush the competition. Yep, we're going to sell the 3600 for 200. Maybe they were planning to make the six core 150 until they saw how crappy Intel was going to be by the time Zen 2 came out. But they said, it's going to be 200 and we're not changing it. And like what's going on right now, if they're, like they're changing prices, they're releasing BIOS updates after, like on launch days. I don't get what's like, I think AMD's just stretched too thin and they need to hire some more goddamn people for Radeon because, well, I'll let you start talking here. Like, I don't remember AMD ever pulling weird moves like this back when we were, like back in the 7970 through 300 series era. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it might just be, be like the Intel, I mean, not the Intel, <laughs> the CPU and uh, graphics card market are two different markets. And I feel like, you see it more with the uh, graphics market in general. I mean, maybe AMD's doing it more so than uh, NVIDIA is, but you see this weird like arms race thing going on constantly where they're just, I, I don't know, like NVIDIA pulls cards and adds new ones all the time now for weird prices. They'll, they randomly drop prices and then in response, AMD just puts out a BIOS update, which I don't know if they were holding on to. That doesn't make sense. Unless they thought, well, we can get away with this $280 price point for a weaker card. And we can also have the added benefit of it uses, what, like 10 fewer watts or something. So they can also yeah, praise us for Yeah, it's like a, w- a 150 watt card instead of like 160 or something, 170 watt. Yeah, I, I really don't know. It, like, the- so, so like what I mean by the indecisiveness, the 7970 came out for whatever it was, right? Like basically $600 if it was an AIV model beat everything NVIDIA had, and they kept that price point. And when NVIDIA launched, they didn't drop any prices for months. The 680 came out. It competed with it. And then they launched the 7970 gigahertz. They didn't fuck anything up. They just had the $600 7970 gigahertz come out that was about 10 to 15% stronger, depending on the game. And they were like, yep, they were putting the gigahertz here. We're putting the $500 7970 here. And we're not... And it stayed like that for like half a year, a year. Like they didn't... And every card they brought out was just that card. And I, there was never this weirdness. Now you see these driver issues, which again, guys, this is new. I'm not used to AMD driver issues. But it's like, I really wonder if it's just they're spread too thin. They, they need to get control of Radeon, though. Yeah, they're trying to be competitive in multiple markets right now. And where they've been viewed as good, generally speaking, I would say good, not the performance kings generally, when it comes to GPUs and they've been kind of until a couple of years ago viewed as a bad option for CPUs. And now that they're trying to claw back to the top on both of them, maybe they don't have enough resources to do that in an elegant manner. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like their uh, processor releases, look, the launch of Zen one was a, a little all over the place. They had like I think, I don't remember what uh, Steve said when I was talking to him in, I think it was Broken Silicon 26 about how he was like, I don't remember. He's like, I think there was like three BIOS updates uh, that last week that I had to deal with while trying to record a video. And so I get that though, but that was the launch of it. And I feel like since Zen Plus, everything's been pretty smooth with their processor releases. You ex- a new AMD processor comes out, it beats Intel, it works, and it's cool. And... 
with their graphics cards. It's just been like, uh, uh, 590, 580 again. And then, um, uh, uh, here's the 5700 XT. Never mind, that's not the price. Uh, and then here's the 5500 XT, except we really don't want you to buy it. Oh, here's the 5600 XT. Oh, we overclocked it last minute. Well, yeah, and I feel like you can see that with their, yeah, there's the, uh, like, their CPUs have just worked uh, lately, and maybe their some of their resources just aren't going super well to the GPU market. Like, because I agree with you, I mean, this indecisiveness, like, look at, uh, what was it, like, the developments of, of leaks from the Navi 10, 12, and 14, where it was just like, they I, I, maybe they didn't even know what the fuck they were doing that entire time. Like, I don't know. Whatever they do, though, this is unacceptable. Like, I recommend AMD basically. The processors, I have no problem still recommending almost exclusively, but the graphics card I recommended like 90% of the time over NVIDIA, depending on, you know, there are times where I'd recommend NVIDIA. But at this point, I'm a little scared. And I just watched today while I was working uh, Cortex's 5600 XT review. And you could, at the end of the video, he's just like, I'm kind of scared to recommend it right now because I know what the hell's going on with their drivers. And so, again, I recommend AMD over NVIDIA still. Uh, I do. But it's even making me go a little crazy. Like, I just sold a Vega, what is it? A Vega 56 to someone because I got rid of my mining rigs. And he had some issues. And I was like, are you using the right drivers? Now, it turned out it was his power supply. Like, he had some piece of shit power supply, and he was used to using some way weaker card. So that's what it was. He undervolted it, and it worked fine. He's getting a new power supply this week or something. But, like, it's making me second-guess myself. And so this is, whenever Big Navi comes out, this is unacceptable. Like, if I were, if I, let's say it's, there's a chance I could, if I get a big Navi for review and its drivers have problems, that's what I'm reporting in the review moving forward. Cause, and this is the first bit video I did of this year. First video I did this month, well, I guess now it's February technically, but the first video I did of January that was a big new video was it, AMD, it takes a lot of aces to be a high roller. AMD's calling themselves a market leader. They've succeeded, but you need all aces. You used to be able to make these excuses. Like, oh, well, you know, the R9 290 is half the price of the Titan. And in fact, I thought its drivers were better than the Titan, so who cares, right? But if AMD is going to beat NVIDIA, they, the excuses stop. If you're a market leader, you're a market leader. And shit like this cannot be forgiven. I don't think it was before, but it can't now. I've never really had driver issues with AMD in the past. And Ever. Was it, was it the December update? Yeah. Uh, my PC would just crash twice a day now. Which, yeah, which you were worried it was the components powers. you got yeah, or something. Yeah, or fucking something. I don't know. And I've had those issues with NVIDIA in the past, too, which I haven't used an NVIDIA graphics card for a while. So I don't know if they're better than they used to be. Given that you haven't complained about them on your HP Envy laptop, I would say <laughs> no. they probably aren't. No, I haven't um, had any issues with it. But no, like these shitty drivers aren't acceptable, especially because... A lot of people, like, if they're going to be in OEMs, a lot of people that buy OEMs don't update their drivers ever. <laughs> like, ever. They will never update their drivers. And if they just get a shitty driver thing, a, a driver update on their new laptop that they just bought, they won't know. Some might not even think, oh, it could be a driver issue. Because the driver issue I was having looked like a, a RAM issue. It looked like a RAM issue to me. Yeah, it was it weird. 
Yeah, and the guy saw the Vega 56 too. He's like, is it because I'm using the 64 BIOS? And I'm like, no, it's run for two years 24-7 with that <laughs> BIOS with zero issues. No, it's not that. And again, again, it turned out to be his power supply. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know that I have much else to add except this weird bullshit's got to stop. If AMD is going to be a market leader, and I think they are becoming one, They've, and again, I can't stress this enough. This is new. I had nothing but AMD stability until like November, December area. And then it's like, what the hell is this? Well, yeah, and it kind of reminds me of, and we can cut this out if you think this is an unnecessary tangent, but it kind of reminds me like when Gary Johnson was running for president, he's like, (laughs) why is no one taking me seriously as a candidate? And then like in one interview, they were like, okay, we're taking you seriously. What do you have to say? And his response is, what is Aleppo? What's Aleppo? <laughs> now, that's a good analogy. It's like, okay, fine, we'll take you seriously. And I have a feeling like, for instance, the, the, to carry your analogy forward, that's probably going to happen with Andrew Yang, or it is starting to happen where, and this is uh, completely off subject, but I mean, like, the, the, the news people just ignore Andrew Yang, even though he's pulling higher than Amy Klobuchar, which makes absolutely no sense. But if he kills it in Iowa, you know, well, you know, there's a chance that they'll take him super seriously. And if the first thing he says is, what's Aleppo? He's out. And AMD can't do this. Just can't do this. Yeah, yeah. and it's just like, if AMD wants to be taken seriously in all of these markets, which if they can be, let's like be honest with ourselves. That's insane if they can be. Because mm-hmm. they're competing with NVIDIA, who has 13,000 employees. AMD has, I think, 10,000 about. And Intel has what, like, Sit over a hundred, I think. Now Intel is into direct apples to apples because they have uh, their own fabs and everything, but they're competing valiantly with way bigger companies. And I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes an issue with uh, some of their resources uh, in the near future. Yeah. Well, I guess let's move on. That's all of our stories. I'm getting a little tired here. I did this gigantic video today and then recorded this <laughs> with you. All right, Chicago Fire writes in and he says, what is your take on water cooling? Both all-in-one solutions and custom loops. Ah, I almost had a stroke. I personally moved to only using air cooling simply for the fact that despite a highly unlikely fan failure, I know my cooler won't suddenly have issues. I I also dislike the extensive maintenance they require. I've also had an all-in-one pump die on me very quickly. Everyone's experience is different, though. I'd love to hear yours. I've never had any problems with any of my all-in-one pumps uh, or any of them. You know, my first one was a 92. And if you listen to the, um, what was it? Uh, NFC Broken Silicon episode. I He talks, uh, I brought up that I had an OEM 92 millimeter one with like a copper. He's like, you know, and he goes, oh no, that one's probably really good. The ones they sold to OEMs back then were super reliable. So that, I've had that since 2014, 20, I don't know, 13, zero issues. That's what I used until I upgraded my to a 3950X. To which I got this 280-millimeter uh, Arctic liquid cooler, and it runs the CPU at 25 Celsius idling, and even gaming, it's like 40 or 50. So, like, this thing works well, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. really well. I've never had the reliability issues of pumps failing and all of that. Um, I don't know. Uh, do, 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 you've had one, right? Um, you use one right yeah. now. Yeah, I, I, I've never had an issue with it. So, I don't know. Maybe we've just gotten lucky. There is always that chance. I know uh, there was a time when like AOIs weren't, or AIOs, not AOIs, 
weren't recommended because people said they were unreliable. And, I and, they, and they were worried that. about leaks. And I know some of the early ones could have a leak, but I've never heard of them leaking pretty much ever. Mm-hmm. Really, like uh, uh, recently, like that's the the quickest way to have people never buy your product again is if you fry their PC. So I'm pretty sure well, they try pretty hard. I and me and Jan uh, and did you? I guess I never asked this. Did you use the same all in one liquid cooler you were using with your Broadwell to this? Yeah. So it already had the mounts then for AM4. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. But yeah, so I think me and you generally recommend them. I like them because they don't put all the stress on your motherboard with this gigantic heavy heat sink that is just hanging right off of it. Um, and, I, and I think it, it, it makes the airflow better. I guess, I don't know, some people, they organize their air coolers on their CPU to kind of act as a fan pushing air out the top of it or something too. I, I don't know. I, I generally recommend all-in-one liquid coolers more. You just got to remember that bigger doesn't mean better and that you got to do your research. And it's a little annoying because there's not, I mean, nearly as many reviews for each liquid cooler as there is yeah. for a graphics card. And I guess, again, right, when I went from Bra, uh, Ivy Bridge to Haswell, I still had my 92 millimeter liquid cooler, but I got a, what, what was it, a 280? I think it was a 280 millimeter, or it may have been 240 millimeter squared liquid cooler. And I noticed that it didn't seem to cool that much better than my 92 millimeter, even though it was so much bigger. And I think it's because the pump was actually weaker. And at a certain point, you're going to saturate the heat in the heat sink, even if it's bigger. And if the pump isn't stronger, eh? (laughs) Yeah. And as far as custom loops go, I mean, I don't know how much maintenance they require. I'm assuming they require a decent amount to make sure that, I don't know, shit doesn't get in them because they're not a closed system. Yeah, that that sounds like a pain in the ass, and it sounds, and I know they're incredibly expensive. And and I just looked at my Arctic cooler with a flashlight in my case here, and yeah, it has an it has screws and stuff on there. So if you want to, you can open it up and put in custom loops with the pump and stuff. I think. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and a lot of them do that now too, so you can do maintenance on them if you need to. I don't know. What the cheaper you ones need to. don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what maintenance you would need to do. Replace the fluid. I mean, it's a well. Oh, yeah, system. you will. Yeah, but over time, the fluid can't evaporate. Nothing's perfectly sealed. It's like the no, example I use is if I have a bucket of ice, I don't really put ice in my drinks anymore, and it's gone. Ice is gone. My freezer, even though it was frozen and closed the whole time. So that means slowly it is evaporating out of there. So I slowly, if you keep meat in a freezer for too long, it will just taste like shit. Like, cause yeah. it is slowly evaporating out and getting freezer burn. Yeah. But any, I guess to answer your question is I generally recommend them. I just think you need to do your research. And the thing is, when you have these $60 liquid coolers, I think they're, be- they're as good as the $60 air coolers, generally speaking, except there was way less stress on your components. Just do your research. I don't know. I like them. But uh, to, to each their own. Uh, John, I think uh, air coolers are, by the way, let me add this, are way overdue for an overhaul in uh, quality. I think yeah. they've basically been the same heat sinks forever. I bet if you... I, thought, I saw Fantech did some really interesting kind of vapor chamber system thing. And like, I'm sure there's more they could do with air coolers too. Anyways, though, John Maynard writes in, are you okay with us sending you treats from our, that's how I say treats, guys, treats from our countries. And are there any regulations we have to keep in mind? Well, I have a PO box. Send me treats. So I got it. <laughs> I have no clue what regulations there are. Um, it depends on the country. So I sent uh, to my sound editor, Gerard, a Vega 56 
with a flash on it to a 64 BIOS is, you know, some payment for the work he does. And going into Spain, it was a nightmare. However, I had a fan send me a GTX 583 gigabyte, which I plan to use for a video whenever I'm not backlogged with another five videos I need to do. Uh, but that should hopefully come out in quarter two. Yeah, and it took him like two weeks to ship it here from the UK. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't think it was nearly as expensive. It was pretty expensive to ship that to Spain. And it took like two months. It took like two months to get there, dude. Yeah, and I don't know where you're from, John Maynard, but uh, I, I, a lot of my coworkers are uh, international. And whenever they have family come here, their family always brings treats. And there are some pretty tasty treats from around yeah. the world. So I'll take your tasty treats. And I, shipping to the U.S. shouldn't be a problem. Just don't ship some cocaine, I guess. I yeah, that is not a treat in our opinion. I mean, it is a treat, but it'll probably be flagged. <laughs> probably. I think they're good at do, uh, screening that. And then Silverburn writes in and he says, also known as responding to John Maynard, what's your address? We need to stalk you and say hi. Well, don't stalk me. You can say hi on Discord. You See, know, you know his P.O. box, though. Dude, yeah, it's going to be, it's in the description of this podcast on YouTube, and it's on the Moore's Laws Dead website. It's on the About page of the YouTube. My P.O. box is out there. So, do you want to send me stuff? It's out there. All right, Dan, that's everything we have. I think this is a well-rounded episode. Anything else to add? There was actually one story that I saw today that it's just... It's just a quick uh, FYI. I'm sure by the sure by the time people listen to this, they'll all know. But uh, the EU just voted to have a single standard for charging cables on phones. Oh uh, I think yeah, that's kind of I saw that. Uh, and I think it's good to know. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that? On the one hand, it concerns me a little bit long term. In the short term, it's like yeah, fuck these chargers. <laughs> I mean, if it makes one less phone with a US uh micro USB charger. I think they've done the world of service. <laughs> yeah, and they and the reason they're doing it is to cut down on waste as well, which I understand what their point is. I mean, I do have all these old charges that I don't need anymore and they're trying to eliminate that kind of waste. Yeah, so that's also good. Apple's, Apple's not, happy. not happy. Yeah, <laughs> Apple's not happy with their fucking bullshit charger. <laughs> Which, I mean, yeah. it's pretty low profile, and it's honestly, the lightning connection is a pretty good interface, but it's not the standard. Just make everything USB-C. And I'll tell you this, Dan. Here's something I'm goddamn tired of. Every laptop, which is every new laptop now, basically, has a USB-C connection. Let me charge my laptop through it. Well, I mean, it provides enough energy to be able to do that, probably. So why would they ever think to make a universal connector? <laughs> Well, so that's what I'm saying is, and if it can provide 100 watts, let me have a smartphone charger and then use the smartphone charger for my laptop. I still can. What the hell's going on? I think you can with the Surface now, though. That's cool. <sighs> yeah, it should be the standard. It will be, be so sick. Just <laughs> one charger for my laptop and my phone. Ugh, so nice. And your PS5 controller? And my PS5 controller and uh, my vibrator. And what else is there? I don't know. Uh, Bluetooth headset. My Bluetooth headset. <laughs> Your crock pot. My crock pot. Yeah, my wireless crock pot. <laughs> what? Yeah. 
Yeah, the battery-powered crockpot, a cooking device known ever, known to cook food slowly for eight hours. <laughs> that runs on battery, Dan? It, maybe. I don't know. I'm just giving you examples. Jeez. I don't really have a vibrator, guys. Oh, All right. I think, I think we've gone far enough. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hug your dogs. Tell us if Dan's okay. Don't go fuck yourselves. What else do I usually say? Nobody's listening anymore. I love you all. Dan loves you all. Let him know if he's okay again. All right. I guess I guess that's it, Dan. All right. No, Another one down. No egg on my face. None. Zero egg on either face is this podcast. Pretty soon I'll be aging faster. I'll look like Britney Spears lighting a Christmas tree. <laughs> Look that up, guys. It's pretty weird. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listen to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon Die Shrink and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Law's Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. The following supporters are at the net burst 10 gigahertz or higher level. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Baraj, Bolix, Jordan Betcher, Mohammed Al-Kawari, Carbon Cry, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Carl Marco, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Larry Hoskins II, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Schoep, Frederick Lau, Alexander Delar, Alethros, Telos, Kaiden, Greg T. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Wani Kierber, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Michael Costa, Ali Robertson, Gordon Lim, Sadler Sadler, Chrysantine, and I love you, Lynn and Jim. 
And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.